The psalmist writes, there are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. Indeed, we do seek to see the goodness and light of God, and we do so together. Welcome on this crisp January morning. Welcome to all of you gathered here in this space, or by radio, telecast, or live stream. Welcome as we open our eyes to the wisdom, the wonder, the strength, and the goodness of God. Please join with me in the call to worship that's printed on the front of your bulletin. La salvación viene de nuestro Dios, que está sentado en el trono y del Cordero. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. La alabanza, la gloria, la sabiduría, la acción de gracias, la honra, el poder y la fortaleza son de nuestro Dios por los siglos de los siglos. Amen. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Please turn in your green Sing the Journey books to number six, Jesu Tawapano. Please stand in either body or spirit. And let's sing through uh, three verses in Shona, English, and Spanish. And in the same book, number 54.
as a community of believers, it is right and good to bring our hearts and our minds and our bodies together in prayer. As we pray today, I invite you, if you are comfortable, to pray with open hands, either simply in your laps or raised up. Today, we remember, among others, Caleb Ganawan and his family. Caleb underwent a brain MRI this week, and Martin and Chica shared a mixture of news yesterday. The spots from Caleb's first relapse and his latest relapse are showing response to treatment, but unfortunately, they found a new spot also in his skull. They are confused and overwhelmed, and they have asked us to continue joining them in prayer. And as I lead us in prayer in a few moments for Caleb, I will pray in the way that Martin and Chica have asked us to pray. And many of you might be asking, how can we help in this situation? Uh, One way that you can be helpful is to come Wednesday night. Um, You can see your bulletin for some details. It will be a night uh, for clips for Caleb if you would like to shave your head, or um, wear your t-shirts, or your bracelets, or just be present. They are hoping to be with us on Wednesday, but they're unsure at this point. Please join with me in prayer. Gracious God of justice and mercy, today we join our hearts with many people. We join our hearts for people crying out in Puerto Rico, Iran, Iraq, and Australia, and many corners of the world. We pray for these different nations that face tragedies and challenges. We pray especially for Jose Medina's family as they live in Puerto Rico and their house was significantly damaged from the earthquake. Give Jose peace and strength as he is away from them. And we pray for many people in Puerto Rico who are struggling. We pray for their comfort and wisdom and for people to feel your light shining brightly in places of darkness and pain. God, we continue to be puzzled and challenged and grieved by acts of violence and conflict throughout the world that drive fear deep within. Assure us, O God, that in you we need not live our lives filled with fear. Assure us that we can stand up to violence, that we can proclaim and work for peace without ceasing in this hurting world of yours. God, we also ask for your comfort and strength closer here to our home community. We pray for those who are struggling to find warmth and shelter 
or the shelter and security of steady work or stable relationships. We pray also for our junior youth as they are wrapping up their time at Camp Friedenswald this weekend. Help them to have made great memories together, to have learned more about you, and help this time to continue forming them after they return. Gracious God, we also ask you to bring your light to bear amidst grief. Wrap those in your care who need your presence felt strongly around them. We pray for Don Ebersole and family as they grieve the loss of Don's father, Robert. And for Lucille Swartzendruber, Joe Lehman, and Esther Kawira and their family as they grieve the loss of Byron Bender, brother-in-law and uncle. And we lift to you John, Harley, and family as they remember John's mother, Thelma. Comfort all who grieve the loss of loved ones or who are grieved by other types of losses. God, we ask you to make yourself known in multiple ways amidst illness, injury, or decline. We pray for dear Caleb, for his body as it struggles to fight against cancer, and for his courageous spirit to continue to be strengthened and comforted. We pray that you might give Martin and Chica wisdom Help them to ask the right questions as they meet with Caleb's medical team. We pray for wisdom for the doctors that they could give their best answers and strategies of care. We pray for peace for Martin and Chica and their entire family to have peace for whatever decisions they are to make. Remind this family how much they are loved by you and by so many others. Loving God, you know the many other needs of body and spirit within our congregation and beyond. We trust you to be present. Make yourself known with your light and your goodness. Gather today's sorrow and joy and remake them in us into generous hope, into sober joy, tested faith, that our lives may be radiant with your love. We pray all these things and more together in Jesus' name. Amen. Children, you are invited to come forward as we sing. I will sing with you, which will be up on the screen.
might need to come a little closer to see some of these, but I have lots of pictures of people, and maybe if you're close to me, sit down on your buns, and that way the people who are not as close can see over you, okay? There we go. Um, there are all these people holding Malachi when he was a baby. They're all you know, grandparent types. Which ones do you think are Malachi's family? That one, okay. You think that one, okay. You see, which ones do you think are his family? That one, okay. That one. Guess what? They're all his family. Oh, you knew that? All right, let's try another one. Here are a bunch more people holding Malachi. Let's set this here, because I need your hands too, I think. Can you hold this and this one up? Okay. Um, which of these do you think? Oh, you're catching on. All of them are his family. Okay, so all of these pictures of all of these people holding Malachi when he was a baby are his family. Because there's a big family of God. Well, you just got right to the point, didn't you? Yes, Violet just said they're all his family because there's a big family of God. Let's kind of talk about how we get there. That's exactly where I'm headed. Yes. So when I was a little girl... I lived in Iowa. When I was born, I lived in Iowa. And um, my grandparents, my mom's parents and my dad's parents, lived in Michigan and in Illinois. So that's pretty far away from Iowa. And so this, these are Malin and Dolores. And my parents asked them to be my grandparents, my Iowa grandparents. So I called them Grandpa Malin and Grandma Dolores. And this is them meeting Malachi for the first time when he was a baby. And then we also, this, this woman is Cindy. And she was my Aunt Cindy when I was in Iowa. But she, she wasn't related to us by genetics, or sometimes we say by blood. Like Cindy or Lucan? But she was someone that my parents asked to be family. So these are people who were like family or who were family for me when I was a little girl and then met Malachi when he was a baby. Okay, then when we moved to Kansas, um, one time we had a student come and live with us and his name was Gilberto and he was from Guatemala. So when I was in second grade, he came and lived with our family while he went to college. And you know what? He just kind of stayed. And he became my brother. So this is Gil and his wife Cecilia holding Malachi when Malachi was a baby. And now he's Uncle Gil for Malachi and Zeph. He became family. And then when Malachi was born... His grandparents, my parents, and Daniel's parents, whoop, I'm losing pictures, lived in Missouri and Kansas, and we live here, and that's like a 10-hour drive just to get to one set of grandparents. So we asked 
these two people to be Grandpa John and Grandma Lois. So Malachi has, and Zeph now too, because he was born after that. They have Goshen grandparents. And Malachi and Zeph. <laughs> so then they had all of these aunts who also lived in Kansas and Missouri. So we got Uncle Jay and Aunt Kelly here in Goshen. So all of these people are our family. And some of them are related to us by genetics or by blood. And some of them are just people we've chosen to be family with. And these are just some of the people. There are so many people that are family. Because family isn't necessarily about looking alike or thinking alike or having the same genes. By that I mean in our bodies, not that we wear. Um, family is about sharing life together. So you know who else my family is? Violet, I think you can probably answer this. Everyone. Everyone, yes. You are my family. You and Caleb. And Caleb is our family. Caleb and Matthew and Mara are in New York right now, but they're part of this family too, weren't they? And so are all the other people who aren't with us this morning, but are part of this family. The Bible tells us that we are all brothers and sisters adopted into the family of God. One time, Jesus said this. He said, he pointed to his disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus said, all these people on God's team, this is my family. We're going to say that verse a lot in the next couple of weeks. So you can say it too. Can you say, look, here are my mother and my brothers. All right, now stand up and turn out here and look around. And now let's try saying it again. Look, here are my mother and my brothers. Let's try it again. Ready? Here we go. Look, here are my mother and my brothers. Can you all try it too? Ready? Look, here are my mother and my brothers. We're going to keep saying that as we keep learning what it is to be the family of God. Okay, so these next several weeks, we're going to keep talking about what that actually means. If we are the family of God, what does that really mean? All right, let's huddle together. Family huddle, guys. I'm going to come down together here. Let's huddle in and let's pray together. God, thank you for adopting us into your family. As we learn more about what it is to be family with each other, help us show your love and your grace to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may get your worship bags and go back to your seats. And let's take our purple Sing the Story books. Number 37, Firstborn of Mary. We'll sing through twice, 37 in the purple book. Thank you. 
Today, Phil Waite, our pastoral team leader, will be offering our scripture and message. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you for this opportunity again to delve into your word and to hear how the Spirit has been leading Phil to lead us in this adventure into your word. Give him strength as he shares with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Our scripture this morning is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. Then he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father and mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you might have had from me is Corban, that is, an offering to God, then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on. And you do many things like this. The word of the Lord. It's a confusing text. Uh, at least, are you confused? Is that confusing? You should be confused if you're not. Uh, I'm confused. Uh, the sermon title this morning is called Your Corbin Footprint. Now, how many of you thought that was a misprint? Just raise your hands if you thought it was supposed to be carbon. All right. Not everybody's honest, <laughs> I'm afraid. We've done some studies, and College Mennonite Church has a disproportionate number of copy editors compared to the population at large. <laughs> so the guess is, my guess is that a number of you thought that it should be carbon footprint, but it is not. It is Corbin, C-O-R-B-A-N, Corbin footprint. Now, I hope that you are dying to know what that word Corbin means. Corbin, what does Corbin mean? In Spanish, it's, it's Corban. Corbin is a word. This is going to take a while to unpack, so settle in. Corbin is a word uh, that is transliterated from Aramaic. Aramaic is believed to be the language that Jesus spoke. It was the language that they, many would have spoken in Galilee. The Gospels, including the Gospel of Mark, was written in Greek. And so everything that was in Aramaic that Jesus might have said was translated into Greek by the writers of the Gospels. Except for some words were not translated, and one of those words is Corban. So we have this word Corban that was simply transliterated into Greek using Greek letters as Corban because there wasn't really a good translation for it. You notice that the gospel writer tries to say that which is dedicated to God uh, in parentheses to so sort of try to give an explanation of what Corban might be. 
But Corbin is, is a technical term used uh, by the temple state, by the temple authorities in Jerusalem to describe a kind of gift or offering that was given to the temple state, to the temple apparatus, if you will, in Jerusalem, Corban. Jesus is in a debate with the scribes and the Pharisees about Corban. Jesus takes a decidedly anti-Corban point of view. So if Corban is a controversial issue, which it seems to be, Jesus is anti-Corban. So this is important to understand why Jesus would be opposed to dedicating something in the way of wealth, land, say, or um, first fruits from a harvest. Why would Jesus be opposed to dedicating that to God? Jesus takes a position opposed to that, right? Is, are we clear on that? Jesus is anti-Corban. Corban is dedicating a portion of one's wealth to God. Jesus is opposed to it. Now, are you conf- thoroughly confused? Why would Jesus be opposed to dedicating something to God? Well, we're going to find out why. So the scribes and the Pharisees came to Jerusalem. It says earlier in in, uh, chapter 7, came to Galilee from Jerusalem. They were outsiders. They were from Judea. They were not Galileans. And they were employees, retainers, if you will, of the temple state in Jerusalem. This was their job. Now, we have to understand that the temple did not just represent a religious place of worship, but a political place. It was the capital building, in a way, of Judea. Not of Galilee at this time, but of Judea. Yes, it was the Roman Empire. Yes, Judea and Galilee were both occupied by Rome. But the Romans made a partnership with the temple authorities in Jerusalem, the aristocrats, the wealthy, the oligarchy, the wealthy people in Jerusalem. The Romans made a pact with them, a contract with them, that the temple authorities would govern, would run Judea on on behalf of the Romans. So the Romans would do their part and the temple authorities would do their part. You remember in, 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 in the Passion Week, right? The temple guard, they had their own soldiers. They were uh, government. You can't imagine College of Night having our own soldiers. We don't have our own soldiers here. They had their own soldiers. They were, a, they were a kind of government with a government bureaucracy. And the scribes and the Pharisees were part of this Bureaucracy. They were part of running the temple state. And like any government, it needed money to run. So the scribes and the Pharisees were concerned that the Galileans, who no longer had to pay the temple tax, they were concerned that the Galileans did their share, what the, the scribes and Pharisees thought was their share of supporting the temple state. And so they went, went to Galilee from Jerusalem to tell the Galileans, you have to give Corban. You have to give a portion of your wealth 
to the temple state to support the temple state because it is God's will that you do this. And Jesus says, no, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to give Corban. There is another tradition besides the tradition of the scribes and the Pharisees that says something else. And that tradition is the tradition of Moses. Moses says, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. And if you give Corban, he's speaking to the Galileans now, uh, as sort of his side audience, if you give Corban, if you dedicate a portion of your wealth to these people, these rich people coming from Jerusalem, if you give to them, you're not going to have anything left to give to your father and your mother. You're not going to honor your father and mother. The people of Galilee, Jesus' people, were destitute. They were poor. They were peasants. They didn't have a lot of discretionary income to be giving off to the temple authorities in Jerusalem. The margins were slim. And the survival of their parents was on the line. Now keep in mind, there was no social security. Greencroft hadn't been invented yet. And there was no way to support one's family other than the obligations of children, of adult children. Also keep in mind that 55 would have been really, really old in those days. That's just an aside. Jesus is critical of the scribes and Pharisees for coming from Jerusalem to tell the Galileans, you have to give your money to us. When they had no money to give, the Galileans had no money to give. Jesus is not afraid to tell people to give their money, is he not? He's not afraid to tell people to give money. What does he say to the rich young ruler? Sell all you have and give it to the poor. Jesus is not afraid to tell people what to do with their money. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Jesus says it's easier for a rich person uh, to go through the eye of a needle than to get into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not telling people they shouldn't be generous. He's telling people they should watch where their generosity goes. I read something this week that caught my attention. This was something that came across my, uh, came, uh, an article that was posted on Facebook, and I, and I read it, and I, I saw this. I said, yes, I think so. It said the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. So I've been thinking about that, and I would say one thing about that is it's not a theological statement. The hope of the world is, I heard it, louder, bolder. 
Jesus is the hope of the world. The local church is not the hope of the world in a theological sense, other than that it is the body of Christ. But in a sociological sense, in an economic sense, in a cultural sense, and in a political sense, the local church is the hope of the world. When we take seriously our call to be the church. Acts 2 and Acts 4 have these passages that describe the early, early church in Jerusalem as a community, a koinonia, a fellowship of goods. Everybody sells what they have and gives it to the church. They dedicate it to God. This is the expectation. We know what happens to Ananias and Sapphira, and if you don't know, you can read it in Acts chapter 5. When they don't do that, everybody gives what they have, and no one in the church has need. Everyone is cared for out of those resources. The local church and the power of the local church. Now, Jesus said, quoting Moses, honor your father and mother. But he also said, who are my mother and my sister and my brothers? Who are they? Those who do the will of my father. The vision of Jesus, the vision in the Acts of the Apostles, the vision of the Apostle Paul is a community that becomes a family. Our Anabaptist ancestors, our spiritual ancestors, took this seriously. The whole idea of sharing in a community was central to their identity. One of, one of the, the, the groups with the, the strongest ties to the 16th century would be the Hooterites, a community of goods where there is no private property. They took seriously Acts 2 and Acts 4. And there are groups today, Mennonite communities, that have taken this seriously, where there is no private property, where everybody... Uh, gives up their private property, and it's given to the church for the purposes and mission of the church. Now, I will say that there's, there's a problem with that. We live in a very different kind of economy. We live in a capitalist economy where investment is crucial. So it's not just a matter of where we are giving our money, but it's a matter of where we, where we are spending our money and where we are investing our money and how we are using our time. It's not just a matter of Corbin. It's not just a matter I'm going to take this and I'm going to give it to God. It's a matter of investing, not just in a cause, but in our father and our mother and our brother and our sisters, our family here in this space. 
That's church. And that's the power of the local church. I don't know if you, if you follow venture capitalism at all, if anybody is curious about that, but 75% of venture capital in our country goes to three states. And guess what? Not one of them is Indiana. I'm sure you're shocked. More than half of venture capital goes to California and New York and Massachusetts split about another quarter. All the rest of the states combined have another quarter. That's money that's going out of Galilee, if you will, to Jerusalem. That's money that's leaving all kinds of places like Goshen, Indiana, and going to other places. Follow that money. Instead of investing in our local communities, instead of investing in our family, instead of honoring father and mother and brother and sisters, the money in this country is going to California and Massachusetts and New York. Now, if you live there, that's great. And some of you have family in those places. I do. That's great, I guess. But I want us to think about our Corbin footprint. Our Corbin footprint. Where is what we have going? Where's our money going? Follow your money. Where is it going? Who is it going to? Is it going to enrich your family? Is it going to invest in your community? What's happening to it? Follow your money. Look at your Corbin footprint. Are you doing what Jesus would have you do? And taking care of your family? Or are you sending your money off to the temple authorities in Jerusalem who don't need it? What are you doing? There was a, I'm taking some risk here. Um, This is a a last-minute addition to the sermon, and I'm not going to use names. But in our church, uh, there was a, a family who had a, uh, for a time, they had a line of credit available to them, a loan um, that was based on, their, on, on the equity in their home, home equity line of credit, HELOC, for those of you who know what that might mean. And they wanted to share that capital, they didn't want to give it away, but they wanted to share that capital, that credit that they had with somebody in their family this community who needed it. They were following their Corbin footprint. They were thinking about their Corbin footprint. What do I have? What are the resources that I have and how can I invest them in the lives of my mother and my father and my brother and my sister? Jesus is very clear about Corbin. 
And Jesus is very thoughtful and intentional about following the money in Galilee. And he's very shrewd and very discerning. His invitation to us is to do no less. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Let's take our hymn books, 374. O young and fearless prophet.
Before we gather our tithes and offerings together, I want to share with you that one ministry our gifts support is care of family and loved ones through a time of death and dying. The space and, that we provide and the care given by pastors, our administrative team, and many, many others is a gift to those in need at a crucial time. In our listening to the stories of loved ones and in our offering sacred space and time, Jesus is present. Thank you for your generosity to this essential ministry. I would like to invite you to come forward with your offering. Uh, If you need assistance from ushers or a child nearby, feel free to ask for that. This is also our first Sunday of the year for Coins for Camp, so if you have loose change, feel free to bring that forward and pass the friendship booklets at the end of your pew. We continue our worship as we give back to God from our gratitude.
Please stand with Sing the Journey number 29. For the offertory acclamation number 29. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your many gifts to us. Our generosity pales in comparison to what you have given to us, and we give you thanks and praise. We ask that what we return to you be used in your service. These things we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. In number 76, from Sing the Journey. you to read through your bulletin to see the opportunities coming forth this week and in days ahead. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Amen. Amen.